When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from iLikeYou.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at iLikeYou.com. Now, let's get started. The lovely ladies today here at the Hue Virtual Chat. So let's open the doors. We have some special guests and some events to promote. So it's going to be a positive talk, I believe, today. And here they are. Hey, hi, Kristen. Morning, Robin. Hi, Linda. Hi, Susie. I see your eyes. <laughs> now, oh, she has risen. <laughs> hi, Charlotte. Oh, so good to see all of your faces. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, yeah, I guess the big talk, not COVID. Can I get any colder out there? I don't know. Oh, I'll go to Robin just because, you know, you're just so used to, well, I guess it would be summer back home for you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to my uh, family yesterday and it was 40 degrees Celsius. Oh. And uh, everyone was like, oh my God, it's too hot. And I'm like, that's why I live here because I can always bundle up and put extra clothes on, but there's only so much you can take off in 40 degree heat. <laughs> well, you know, what can we say? Welcome to Winnipeg winter. <laughs> I gotta say, I love it. I'm more excited and the dog and I have longer walks, the colder it is, weirdly enough. <laughs> um, yesterday or last night I was out there, I had my big thick puffy jacket, you know, the minus 40. I had a t-shirt underneath. I just had a pair of sweatpants and people were like, why don't you have stuff under them? I'm like, I'm warm enough. It's all good. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know what? Oh, and she's here. So I, you know, I want to uh, welcome again, Rochelle Squires. It's so good to see you. And uh, you know what? Let's get right into it. Uh, we're so happy. A another new portfolio. And I think this one will be really good for you. So take it away, Rochelle. Um, again, and let's talk about your new portfolio, Minister of Families. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show today. And uh, I always appreciate coming on your show and meeting the group of people that you bring together. And I think more than ever, we really do need that sense of community. I know in, in my life, I'm really grieving that loss of friendship and community um, that has, has really transitioned throughout this last year where getting together with people is no longer the same as it used to be. And there's so many risks involved in gatherings. And uh, for me, I, I'm certainly, you know, getting used to the, the Zoom connection, but it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't always feel the same, but you do an incredible job in making it um, the, best, uh, the best possible experience for all of your participants and your listeners. So thank you so much, Tracy, for what you're doing. Uh, for our community and, and helping to redefine and, and rebuild our community. So, so yeah, I was um, tapped on the shoulder again on, on January 6th of this year uh, with much uh, delight and honor. 
uh, to to resume our, to, to assume the responsibilities for this new portfolio as the Minister of Families. Um, I'm, I've been elected now. I'm coming up to my fifth anniversary in public office on April the 16th. No, pardon me, April the 19th will be five years since I first got elected. And a lot of people say to me, really, Rochelle, I thought you've been elected. You've been around for a lot longer than that. And uh, I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, maybe it's because I, it just, it just seems as though I've been a lot long, been in office a lot longer. But uh, in reality, it's, it's just coming up to five years, and uh, I'm now in my fourth portfolio. So I was first appointed immediately after getting elected into the Sport Culture Heritage portfolio, and after 15 months, I went into sustainable development. And during that time, I also held the portfolios, the secretariats for Francophone Affairs and status of women. And then after the 2019 election, I was uh, appointed municipal relations uh, minister, and then recently now into families. So really uh, feel as though families uh, is, is near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. It is definitely in my wheelhouse, if you will, um, dealing with some of the issues that are now coming across my desk. Um, and and I, I said to the premier when we had our conversation back in January, when he'd asked if I would take on this responsibility. And of course we had a, a long conversation about what that meant and, and what some of the, the responsibilities of, of uh, the office would, hold, would include. And then he said, uh, do you have any other thoughts or questions you wanna share with me, Rochelle? And I, I said to him, that it was certainly not lost on me that um, you know I'm, I'm going from a teenage mother who was on welfare to being the head of the department responsible for EIA and uh, looking after um, some of our more vulnerable people in in society and it was it was a really humbling moment and I'm incredibly humbled by this opportunity that I've been given um, and, and really recall my experiences as being, you know, a, a, a teenage mom on welfare and how hard that was and how difficult it was to, to press on. And so um, in some of my very first few briefings, I met with my senior leadership and uh, I'm, I've shared that with them that, um, and I thanked them. I said, I, even though when I was uh, a single mom on welfare, I was living in the province of Saskatchewan and wouldn't, uh, wouldn't recall the, um, the, the names of the workers who helped me on my journey. But I, I did impart my, my impression and my belief that, you know, a few words and a little bit of kindness can really change a life. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, and I'm continuously grateful for some of those key people that I'd met. Um, and I remembered the time when I, when I was first applying for welfare, I was uh, 17. And, and it, as you probably know, it's not, it's not common for 17 year olds to receive um, employment insurance benefits. It's uh, usually they're there to be in the, in the care of a, another guardian and you have to be 18 to be classified an adult to claim benefits. But there were a variety of circumstances where home wasn't an option for me with my parents. And um, so I was explaining this to, to the, my social worker and she wasn't, you know, she's, well, you know, we don't give welfare to 17 year olds. And then I said, 
but I'm expecting, like, I just found out I'm pregnant and I really need to stabilize my life. And, um, so she's, she, they finally, uh, consented and, and agreed that I could become a recipient. So, and I didn't have any understanding of how things would work. And I, I literally had no money and I, I went to the office in person to sign some forms, or I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, I had to go to the office and I was sitting there and my, and my social worker had said, we're in her cubicle. And she said, yes, you're now approved for benefits. And I'm like, so do I get some money right, right now? And she said, no, a check will come, you know, in the mail or something like that. And I started to cry because I, I had no bus money to leave the office to get back to the transition home that where I was staying. And she took money out of her own purse and gave it to me, just a, a little bit of a, a bridge loan, if you will, like five or $10, which included some money for bus fare back home. And um, her kindness, along with uh, many other people's kindness throughout the, the following three years where I was um, receiving benefits really stayed with me a lifetime. And so when I actually got to meet with uh, my leadership team here in, in this capacity, um, I think at first one of my, um, one of my, one of the members of my team was a little worried that I might've had perhaps a, not a great experience because I think there's a lot of people who have come out, come through that experience and, you know, had, uh, had some, something uh, negative, but I had said, um, I just, I just want you to know that I have a hundred percent respect and admiration for the work that everyone in this department does. And, um, and the, the people who are really serving our, our most vulnerable, uh, populations. And it may be easy to believe after, after several, maybe years on the job that we're not affecting change and change is so hard and it's so hard to quantify that change but one never knows one absolutely never knows what that small act of kindness can do and um one other quick story that i'll tell you about my way back then and then and then i'll talk a little bit about today's uh today's reality but after i had my son he was born in uh in on january 15th 1989 and I was also provided a worker because I was a high risk pregnancy because of my age and my circumstances. And so I had a woman uh, from the healthy mother, healthy baby department who was assigned to me to help me um, bring to a full term healthy baby uh, uh, to, to um, a, you know, full term pregnancy and, and to have a high uh, weight baby. And so shortly after I had, um, had delivered my son and he was eight pounds, 10 ounces. I mean, good Lord, I didn't want him to be any bigger than that. And uh, she came to my apartment and visited me and it was just, you know, uh, really, uh, it was a celebratory moment. And then she said, don't forget about the extra benefits you get as a single mom. Now you get, I believe it was an additional top up for a bus pass. And because I was, um, uh, needing, needing, uh, to find childcare arrangements and to go back to school. She says, don't forget about this benefit. And don't forget about this benefit. And I said to her, I, 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 I will, but with all due respect, I'm not going to stay on welfare for very long. And she said, I have no doubt in my mind, Rochelle, that you, uh, you will someday, um, be off of welfare. But in the meantime, the benefits are here to help you out. 
please take advantage of them. And, and I did, and, and I um, was able to uh, slowly over the next year and a half um, find employment and, and sort of haven't looked back since. And I used to think in my mind, like, boy, I sure have taken a lot of money from the taxpayer, you know, like I, all the money that I had received when I was a recipient for me and my new baby, I, I, I would, it was not lost on me back then that this wasn't, you know, free, free, free money in that, in that sense. And maybe there was a that little bit of a guilt that I think anybody who's impoverished feels like that they're less than other people in society, because, you know, you're the contributor and I'm the recipient or you're the have and I'm the have not, you know, and, and I think that that's such a part of our culture. So it was not lost on me that I was like the have not, and I was taking from other people's generosity other people, whether it be the taxpayer or, you know, other, other, um, other people that had helped me out along that way. And, and I often said, like, I really want to someday pay my repay my debt to society. And, um, and when I looked at this year's T4, I thought, okay, you know, maybe I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> I've helped repay, but not only, not only do I think about, you know, I've, I've spent um, ever since 1990, I've had a job and um, contributed to, to society and also changed the trajectory of my son's life. He's, you know, he's a good, you know, he's got a great, great job, a great income, and is a strong provider for his family. And I think of how differently things could have gone for us. And uh, really it was um, the people that are now in this department that I can, you know, look in the eye and say, the work you do really, really matters. You're changing lives on a daily basis. So that's a little bit of my, uh, what, what it was like for me that moment when I, when I came into this position and I, I felt really um, humbled and honored. And then I felt a little overwhelmed because the question <laughs> became, well, what, what is your responsibility? So in this department, um, I have the employment insurance uh, department and, and responsible for the benefits. Um, we also have child care, early learning and child care and the vulnerable persons uh, act is, um, is in this under the purview of, of this ministry and uh, the community living disability uh, supports that we offer to uh, vulnerable people living with either intellectual or physical disabilities, as well as um, we have uh, the department is so, so vast. We have housing in this department. And so as, as most of you know, we have, um, there's over 30,000 Manitobans who rely on some form of, of um, assistance from the province for housing to meet their housing needs, whether it be through a rent assist program or through, um, through you know, a more traditional means of, of housing uh, being provided by the province of Manitoba and maintaining that stock is something that I've found has been is a real challenge and it's a real priority for our government and I know my predecessor had um had, had was on on the there was a there was a, a large accumulated deficit in uh the uh refurbishment of our housing and um, we want to be able to provide the best housing possible for people and so really uh, trying to make those investments in the maintenance of the housing and also providing a bit of a hybrid option for people whether um, that could be a housing opportunity housing ownership opportunity and we've got some great community partners wanting to go down that uh, journey with us 
And, uh, but, but mainly it's about, you know, housing security. Um, and then the other, uh, the other sort of portion that I'm, I'm incredibly interested in, uh, and, I, and I'll share this responsibility with my new colleague, the minister responsible for uh, mental health, wellness and recovery. Um, we created a new department uh, based on the fact of the, the growing need for um, attention and direction towards achieving better outcomes for those who are um, afflicted with addiction and suffering mental health. Um, but the, the homeless population is, is, a, is a real challenge. And, and um, we know working with our partners, we've got some really great partners in our community. We're so grateful to have Main Street Project, Asylum uh, and Salvation Army to name a few, as well as a new initiative, which I'm pretty excited about called the Downtown Safety, not the Downtown Safety Biz, but the Downtown Safety Pro Program. I'm gonna get the name, uh, the name, uh, it's because it's a branch off from Downtown Safety Biz. These are people who specifically go out, they wear the lime green toques and they will go into a bus shelter and they'll say, are you doing okay? How, how are you, you know, is there something I can do for you? Is there something I can get for you? It's not about enforcement. It's not about pushing people along. It's not about just addressing a problem. These aren't problems. These are people and building a relationship in, uh, in the capacity that they can. And it's the downtown safety partnership. And uh, they, uh, then they will, they'll redirect. If someone wants housing, we find them a bed and it's building those relationships. Um, and so between uh, Minister Gordon's department and, and my department, we'll continue to fund initiatives and programs and justice as well um, and, and ensure that we address that housing insecurity problem in, in Manitoba. So I think I've probably talked longer than you wanted me to, Tracy, but uh, thank you so much for listening and thanks for having me here today. Oh, not at all. I see big happy grins on Robin and Kristen and Charlotte's face because the last thing just touched home, the work with the homeless and uh, people treating people as people. As what I learned in the workshop with Robin, uh, it was all about homelessness. And that is an amazing uh, project and continued because yes, as, we're no as we know now, as we're living in the pandemic and COVID, uh, the homelessness is is it's uh it's all over and and like when i say it all over it's not just downtown or you know in the north end it is all over so in all of our communities so i think it is something that we can also take ownership and you know follow suit so i'm hoping that yes with your new portfolio we'll have more information that you that we can as community members get more involved Mm -hmm. um, I think that's where I kind of feel right now um, because we have met so many wonderful people doing incredible things with different programs, but we just sit here and listen. So I think if anything we do in 2021, we can be empowered ourselves to do something. So we look forward, Rochelle, and to any way that, you know, we can help um, because that is a problem and it's not just your problem. It's a problem for everyone. And, you know, and I learned too, right, Robin, you can agree, sometimes people don't need to have a home, or they don't want to have a home, they like the environment that they're in. So again, that's, a, again, another um, 
I won't want to say an issue, but it is going to be another way to look at what a home means, you know? So I think that uh, will take on a new kind of uh, meaning, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I'm going to throw it to Robin because yeah, a lot of what Rochelle was talking about was like, yay. (laughs) Yeah, I think the piece for me about having people who's lived and breathed going through the experience Add something amazing. So I didn't know your story, story, Rochelle, and I'm heartened to hear that you've gone through the the system um, and you can, like, come from those experiences. And I'm I'm hoping, I'm super excited that I, I think you will, like, engage with people who use the services to really get their views on the way that, things can grow and change and like how like staff and people who use any of the services can actually do stuff in collaboration as you create any new programs or ways of being. Um, and even, I, you know, discussions about how we create peer support networks in staff, in youth using services, in kind of adults using services so that people can share their similar experiences and realize like they're not alone. So uh, it was super heartening to, to hear that. And I, I think that adds something to departments that we don't always get um, making space for that. And uh, I love the fact that there's a, a new department focusing on mental health, wellness and recovery. Um, I have a respectful challenge because I always have respectful challenges. Many of um, the departments like that in different countries around the world are now appointing like specific positions that are like leadership roles and it's dedicated to someone with lived experience of dealing with mental health. I know um, New Zealand's just put one in, I know, because they asked me to apply and I'm staying here. Um, But just in terms of that, to really create that partnership co-design of stuff. So, you know, that's, that's my respectful challenge of the new department, that they really include that piece as well as the other voices of families and other professionals. So it's not like loaded to one side. Um, But yeah, I'm just... uh, this is the year where we get to, to play and look at things and still create differently and see the gifts that we got from last year, which, you know, are sometimes a little hard to, to see, but the gift of slowing down and taking a different look um, and just uh, uh, creating newly for our, for our future. So I'm excited. I'm hoping that we get to work with you Rochelle and get to create some amazing stuff. I'm, I'm hoping we get to play anywhere. I just love to play. <laughs> oh, Susie, I'm going to go to you. Um, you know, uh, you're such a big supporter of family. You have so much wisdom and so much, I don't know, you, you just have a spark just to make the word mom feel good <laughs> sometimes. But I you know, so yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and look at what a family is today, right? It has changed. It's not necessarily a mom and a dad. It's, you know, it's so many mm-hmm. things. 
Yeah, and I think it's really important to, you know, to build on what Rochelle and what Robin were saying is that we need to build communities, right? And we need to build communities that are, um, I am always approaching things from this angle now that are cloaked in compassion and dignity. So, you know, like Robin said, someone might not want a home. They might not need that, but there are other social services and other things that they would need. So when I, when I see, you know, stories about people um, trying to keep warm in bus shelters, it's minus 32 out there today. Now that is not, that is not ideal for anybody. There needs to be a place that people are treated with respect and dignity and safe from the elements, regardless of why or how they got there. That is just the basic of human decency. So whatever we need to make that happen, we need to make that happen. And it's not for lack of resources, it's not for lack of want. So whatever barriers or roadblocks are there, those need to be eliminated to make room for people who need help. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm really kind of working through this year is that we live in a culture of punishment. We don't live in a culture of compassion. We feel that if people are, and Rochelle can probably, you know, relate to this, like being 17 years old, scared, uh, you know, pregnant on her own, and people were thought that she would deserve punishment instead of help. Punishment doesn't really help anybody. There's shame attached to that. There's so much stigma attached to that. Instead of just saying to somebody, what is it that you need? It's like basic human needs. We need to reimagine how we are approaching not just society problems, but problems in every area, whether it's life, work, relationships, whatever that is, we need to get away from the punishment uh, model and move to a, a compassion model because that's the only way that we're really going to help people in a long-term in a long-term format. Short-term is punishment. You know, like you, you smack a child's hand for, you know, doing something they shouldn't. Okay, they might learn that. But instead of just smacking that hand, can you not just, you know, have a dialogue, have a conversation with whoever it is that needs your help and then to employ the resources that they would need? That would be so much more beneficial, not just in that moment, but for the weeks and months that come along after that. I think that we really need to get away from this idea that there are bad people and good people and that good people deserve good things and bad people deserve bad things. Those ideas and that's, that paradigm helps nobody. So, you know, whether you talk about families or communities, and we've talked about this before, is that if you want to change the world, you need to start in your own living room. So that to me is how I approach not just my family, my children, but my work, my life. I want to know solution-based answers, not problem-based uh, answers. You know, we need to take a deeper look at how we're conducting ourselves, you know, on a, on a microcosm level and then apply that to the macro. Mm -hmm. Wow. Was that a lot more than... <laughs> more for than you were asking for in a Tuesday morning, but. Hey, no, we're all kind of going, yes, yes, I know. Like everybody's writing things down. I mean, I'm sure we'll have using those phrases, but, you know, <laughs> and, but uh, no, I, you're so right. And yeah, and like spilling off on what Robin said too, we've just had so much time to be either alone or with our family. And so yeah, you do get an opportunity to kind of redirect or rethink your values and change them. 
you know? Well, and I think that, I think that, you know, if you're looking at how, how we're going to change things and how we're going to move things forward, there's a lot of people who've been brought up with that mindset. There are political ideologies based on that mindset. There are religious ideologies that are based on that, some of that mindset. And we need to, we need to really evolve our way of thinking and looking, you know, what, what issues have we solved? with that kind of mindset. Are there things that have been eliminated from our list of things to do, of problems in the world? Not that I can see. There's still hunger, still homelessness, still abuse, still trauma. So we need to take a different approach. That's, that seems like a logical path to me because what we have been doing is not working. So when you look at a compassion-based approach, that is cloaked in community, that is cloaked in dignity. And it's not about um, it's not about I have enough. I don't want you to have any. It's it's that same thing like stop building walls and build longer tables, right? And build bridges because that's the only way that we're going to see long lasting change and effective change that not just helps this one generation, whatever that might be, but can stop cycles of poverty, can stop cycles of abuse, can stop cycles of, you know, whatever, whatever uh, trauma people are dealing with. Um, okay. Can I, can I just jump in quickly? You can. I, I love what you're saying. I'm so excited. I could just jump for joy that people are starting to talk about this. But that, like we often go, it's about more money. It's not always about more money in departments. It's about how we utilize it. I've been saying for years, we pay, we, we keep funding the same old, same old. And we get the same old result. And there's places that are going, well, let's dismantle some of the stuff that's not working based on what individuals who use them say. And let's create something different. It's not always about having to keep finding more money. It's just being creative. There you go. All right, Charlotte. I'm going to get, uh, yeah, you're on, girl. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to go, uh, I'm just going, my mind's going everywhere. I'm sure it has been. <laughs> and Kirsten's going, yes, because they're kind of like twins. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, it's always hard to follow um, Susie because, I mean, everything she says is just so bang on. And, um, you know, when she's mentioning the shame piece, I mean, that always is such a big conversation when we're working with families. Um and I just, I loved your line um, about communities, but, um, and the hand slapping one, I know is resonating with Kirsten. Like when we're working with families, it's really all about exploring what will work for them and in, in eliminating those roadblocks and, and your hand slapping analogy was, you know, to me was when, when roadblocks come up and, you know, when there's silos um, and, and Rochelle, um, just, just a little bit in case, um, I know you probably don't know, but Kristen and I run a family peer support group for families who have um, family members struggling with mental health and or addiction. And um, it's free, it's online and uh, it's, uh, just part of a peer support project that we're doing with uh, Manitoba Schizophrenia Society, which is now called Peer Connections Manitoba. Um, and it's, you know, it's just really we're working with them to explore what works for them and uh, what resources are out there that will work for their family unit. Um, and I just, I can't agree more with uh, so much of what you were saying. And, and Kirsten, I'm going to just switch it to you because that your line about um, the policymakers, um, I just was like, I love how you frame that. So maybe you can add that piece too. My head's going 
everywhere, but uh, and my heart. I, uh, this is a good goosebumps conversation, and um, I have to say, first of all, uh, Rochelle, congratulations, and I love the girl power that was very evident in the shift that happened. Uh, and Susie, you're always so articulate and have so many uh, things that I get excited about, and I could go off on that tangent. Um, but as a as a family peer support worker, and also as a mental health advocate. Um, when I'm working with families, I'm so excited, uh, first of all, to hear of your lived experience and how you um, accessed a system and, and uh, had that seat before you became in this, you know, very exciting seat that you're in now in your, in your role as minister. Um, but when I work with families, uh, a lot of people get really angry with systems um, because they aren't perfect and, and they're absolutely our flaws. And I'm so excited to hear that the policymakers um, have an experience in that system. And I encourage families to take a step back, take a breath and pause, and to approach it, especially with mental health and addictions, um, because I feel that the system hasn't, uh, hasn't caught up with the reality of what is on uh, everyone's plate as society. And I encourage families to realize that the policymakers did not intend to put up a big brick wall. They did not attend to be an obstacle in you accessing or your family uh, a service uh, or a benefit. And if you can take a step back and truly advocate with those policymakers and point out the, the flaws and the holes in the policy. Um, and if you can do that uh, in, I always say, you can be, you can be fierce and uh, gracious at the same time. It's been my experience and I, I know it's not all about me, it's about the timing and who was in the other chair at the time, but it's been my experience that, that, that policymakers um, want to help and they want to be a solution. And we need to start approaching it as advocates and people trying to access system from that perspective so that dialogue can happen. And the magic that I've seen that has happened through that um, has changed lives. And I'm, I'm so excited about the empathy um, that comes from someone having lived experience sitting in, in a chair like Minister of Families. Uh, and I'm so excited about the new department, um, mental health recovery and wellness, like so excited. Um, but uh, if, we can, if we can take a step back and work with the policymakers, um, amazing things can happen and change can happen and families can get supported in the perfect world. But I believe wholeheartedly, I really believe that can happen. That's all I'm going to say, because I'm going to go off on another tangent if I keep speaking. Wow. So I'm going to go to Linda. I know that we've been talking a lot about family and family is important to you. And you're, you're a single parent too, right? I am. I am. I, uh, and I, I am just thrilled with the conversation today. Congratulations, Rochelle. I think that's a wonderful appointment. And, uh, you know, it's issues about family affect us all. So it's, uh, you know, I can hear everyone's passion and, uh, and dedication to this issue. So I'm, I'm happy to be a part of this conversation. And, you know, there's so many uh, different things that we, we touched on here. And I want, you know, uh, advocacy is something that, uh, you know, everyone kind of talked about in different ways. And I would love to see that being taught at a younger age, 
how to advocate for yourself, you know, how, how we can get kids uh, at a young age to learn how to speak up and how to advocate for each other. Um, you know, that's and, and advocate for themselves. Uh, I think that would be just such a, um, you know, Susie, you, you talk very eloquently about, you know, the, the shifts we need in society. And of course, you know, that starts at a young age and empowering that next generation. I think what I hear is empowering uh, young kids to tell their stories. You know, Rochelle, that I, we all feel that the power that you have in having told your experience and having spoken that story gives other people permission to share their stories and to be, share their struggles, share their imperfections, um, share their vulnerabilities. I know all of us feel the same way. Vulnerability is courage. Vulnerability is strength and power. And uh, I love to see that shift, especially coming from politics where we don't necessarily see that, um, that, that, um, that very human frailty uh, displayed. I, and I love that. I love that that's being shared. Um, so to me, talking about issues of shame, um, like you were saying, Charlotte, Shame is such a core issue of mental health issues, and uh, you know, being being more open about uh, about people's struggles, I think, is only going to benefit society. And so, yeah, advocacy, dealing with shame, and telling our personal stories are all things that I want to uh, see uh, talked about more, and and especially empowering the younger generation to do that. Rochelle, I was going to ask too, um, getting back into the whole, I guess, politics and everything and, you know, spilling off on and seeing what happens now in the States with uh, Kamala Harris, now the first vice president. And someone had mentioned to, oh, I think it was uh, Kirsten saying, yay, girl power. So uh, just with the change in, in cabinet, uh, what is your, I guess, feelings now um, being there and I mean, again, we're in this lockdown until, I guess, February 12th and who knows what, um, just on that government sense and, and what is sort of the atmosphere at the ledge we see you in your office? Well, first and foremost, I think we're in this beyond February 12th, just a hunch. <laughs> okay. okay. Don't, don't have high, high, high expectations. <laughs> we all heard Dr. Rusin yesterday. And uh, I, I do think that, you know, until... 60, 70% of us are inoculated. We're going to, we're going to have this, this form of communicating and, and uh, relationship. But yeah, the legislature uh, has always been open for us to come in and work. And I still work here usually four days a week in my office at the legislature, but it's, it's eerie in this building because it's so quiet. Yeah. You'll see uh, the odd time you'll see a reporter to and fro um, and you may or may not recognize him because we're all bundled up and we've got our masks on. It is a public place. So whenever I'm outside of my physical office, I need to be masked, which I have no, no problem with. It's just except for those few moments where I open the door and I'm about to take a step foot out of my office and I realize, oh my gosh, I forgot something and that would be trouble for me. So I, I, uh, 
but apart from that, there's there's very few people here. The House isn't sitting right now. Um, so it's usually just cabinet ministers and people with portfolios or the opposition leader doing uh, doing the work that carries on whether we're in session or out of session. And because I'm obviously in a new portfolio, there's a lot of briefings uh, doing them by Zoom right now. I will say that one of the benefits of being shuffled during a pandemic is that in my other three experiences, you get you get reappointed into a new ministry and all your stakeholders want to meet you and you, you take those meetings and you're, you're out in community and you're talking to people, but you don't really know what you're talking about yet because you don't know your portfolio. Here, I'm able to be briefed and uh, spend all of my time uh, learning, uh, learning everything I need to know or hope to know uh, before actually going out. I mean, I'm, I am meeting with my stakeholder groups via Zoom and, and, uh, um, and Teams and all these other platforms, but um, it's a little bit of a different experience. So the legislature is... Physically, it's a different space. Um, the world of politics, January 6-2 was a day of optimism for me. And I, I sat back afterwards and I, I thought I was chatting with my deputy minister, Catherine Gerard, who's a wonderful lady. And I said to her, do you realize that five women right now are in charge of 75% of the provincial budget? And, and I said, so that means that we have like we have a lot on us right now. There's there's a uh, there's a lot. But between myself, Minister Stephenson, and Minister Gordon, and uh, Deputy Minister Karen Hurd, who's running both of those departments until uh, a re um, mental health recovery and wellness becomes um, fully staffed up, that's obviously in transition right now. Um, and uh, so the Deputy Minister of, of Health is has wearing both of those hats for now. And my deputy is also assisting in that regard. So, um, so it, it's it's exciting. It's really exciting, and I'm I'm so proud to be amongst these very talented and dedicated women who are in these roles uh, with the Manitoba government right now. Uh, in terms of the the public discourse in the last year, there have been moments where I've been somewhat frightened for the state of democracy and for the state of public affairs. Uh, and not just in, in North, not just in North America in general, but around the world. I think the, the factor where we've had people at home distanced and not socially connected with their community has meant people are allowed to show their worst self behind a screen. And, and we've seen it. It's no surprise. We've seen it for years where people bring their worst selves to Twitter and to Facebook and to other platforms and then have a better face when they're out in society. I think that better face when we're out in society has somewhat taken a backseat to this worst self that we can unleash on, on platforms. And we saw the absolute biggest manifestation of that with the armed insurrection in the United States. Um, and and I, I really worry that, that that level of toxic disdain that, um, that all of us in society are now exposed to is desensitizing us to that. And I, I think that is going to lead to more hostility, more flippant, casual, but cutting remarks. And it's going to dissuade people from entering politics, I believe. And I'm worried uh, because I, I, honest moment, there have been times in this past year where I've just been, I don't, 
you know, yes, we can, you know, I take a quote from my favorite author, Glennon Doyle, we can do hard things, but man, this is really hard. Okay. And when I've, you know, and, and, and I know I get the, the public, we've asked so much from the public and I understand the, the frustration and I understand the contempt for these, this new, uh, this new regime that we all have to adhere to for public health. Um, but to be on the receiving end of some of that, and I've just been on the receiving end of a, of a smidge in comparison to what some other people have, has really made you take, take a, be taken aback. And I'm worried that the, the temperature, someone, you know, good intentioned, well, uh, well uh, capable people might take that temperature and think twice before entering public life. And I'm worried that we will get to the point where the people that dominate politics are people who don't care what people say about them, as long as they're saying something about them. And if you're someone who has a little bit, if you wear your heart on your sleeve, are you going to find a home in politics? I'm going to try to make space for myself, who's always governed, I've always led with my heart on my sleeve, and, I, and I'll never change. I'll leave politics before I change that. So I'll always have my heart out there. I'll always be accessible. I'll always broadcast my telephone number for my constituents to call me, come what may. That's how I, that's how I lead. That's how I chose to uh, support and, and represent my community. And, um, and I will always try to make that space. Uh, um, and I have my boundaries. I, I will very few times I've had to say to people, I, you know, I will represent you, Will, but I will, no, I'm not here to be abused by you. And how to do that tactfully and maintain your dignity in your space is really challenging. And I think we, we need to think long and hard about that. Um, uh, and all do our part to prevent our society from going down into that place because we don't want to get to that spot where people are too, um, you know, good people are too afraid to put their name on a ballot or will say it's not worth the bother. Wow. So Sounds so pessimistic. I really, <laughs> I really try to be as optimistic as possible, but I'm I'm also a bit of a realist and, and maybe too much of a realist at the end of 2020. And I hope to get some uh, enthusiasm and optimism uh, with fresh new eyes this year. That's my goal. Uh, well, you know what? I'm, I'm sure you will, Rochelle, but that was totally, you know, from your heart and it does put a different light and spin on things. And yes, uh, yeah, we are all, I guess, a little bit pessimistic, but I want to end on a happy note and my sincere apologies. So Lois Brothers <laughs> joins us now. I am so sorry. Technology just does it's not. Okay. I've, I've been sitting here. Oh, I just, oh my goodness. Just, you're waiting. And I, I, and I tried to look, you know, very tastefully and I'm going like, <laughs> where are you? And anyway, so I want to introduce uh, Lois Brothers quickly. She's a mom. She's an educator. She's an advocate for the vulnerable and she has this amazing event. So we're going to go right to Lois. Uh, Rochelle, this will be great. It's all about, um, correct me if I go, creative, confident, happy kids. That's right. Here to the parents, grandparents, caregivers. Yes. So go yeah. ahead, Lois. Um, yeah, well, this coming up weekend, uh, there's going to be a virtual summit. And it's called Creative, Confident, Happy Kids and how you can help your child embrace their individuality and increase their self-esteem. 
And um, hi, Robin and Charlotte. It's nice to see you here. I get the pleasure of being able to interview them and learn about what they're doing here in Winnipeg. And it's just absolutely fabulous. I'm so excited to get involved with you guys. And so, yeah, what I've done is I've, um, I guess I've taken this opportunity of, of COVID to say, hey, you know what? This is where we are. Let's see what we can do that's different. And so I've created this summit. Um, and I originally was going to start with... Um, kids who are actors, because that's what I do, and to try to create something around for parents and, and kids and acting, and depending on if they're gonna go further in the whole bit and how they can do that. And then I, ha I have a, a coach who's helping me. She says, well, make the, make the subject a little bit broader. And so that's exactly what I did, which allowed me to then bring in um, topics for the vulnerable, um, mental, physically, uh, intellectually challenged. And so there's lots of topics on that. And there is about, um, for actors and children who are specializing and doing really great in whatever activity that is. And I've got Bonnie Wallace. She's uh, Dove Cameron's mother who's wrote this amazing book. She'll be talking on this um, topic. And um, under that whole um, umbrella of this topic, also all the different things that children have to go through and parents go through when they're raising children. Um, we don't have to go to university or go to school to be parents. So, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there and I just have tried to bring a lot of it together. So you're going to have conversations um, with people, um, you know, about divorce and how to be able to do that respectfully. And um, I've got some speakers talking about inclusion for um, kids at school and for people and with Charlotte and Robin talking about their organization for um, mental health challenges. I have people talking on um, the brain. Uh, Carlotta Nelson, she's a writer and a director of Brain Matters, which is an incredible um, documentary. And, um, you know, on technology, Sean Grover is going to talk on technology. And we've got um, uh, gut brain uh, connection and how that can help learning. And that's also something that um, is incredibly new that I was learning. Anyways, um, it's the summit and you can register and you will be able to uh, listen to seven different um, speakers, experts from all over the world. And um, it's been a lot of fun to contact these people. They email me back and say, yes, I'm interested. And we set up a Zoom session and I interview them. So I've done interviews at 1 a.m. in the morning because the person on the other side is at 8 a.m. in the morning, you know? <laughs> so um, lots of people and I'd love to be able to say all of them um, but definitely connect to it. It's a free event. Um, if you don't want to, if you can't watch them all on the weekend, then it's like um, $47. You can have this in your library uh, to be able to keep and go back and listen to all of these um, different speakers. So um, it's been a great journey. It's been uh, something that um, I've learned a lot myself. I've come to the conclusion that I've been okay as a parent, but there sure are things that I can learn still and will continue to learn. So um, yeah, what more can I say? <laughs> well, actually, I guess this has been considered a passion project for you, Lois, then? Sure, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, um, and you know, I don't know where this is gonna go um, because from meeting so many people, I've, I'm starting to get some different opportunities to work with other people to do some of the things that I am passionate about. And so it's kind of opened up a new, um, a little bit of a new world for me and I don't know where it's gonna go, but my faith and my belief and trust in the way life is supposed to go is strong. So I'm excited to see where it will go. 
And I just want to mention that, you know, you specialize in, in acting for children. Now with this, do you see maybe a spinoff of including some more of these, you know, topics that you're going to be talking on in your acting and, and dealing with children? Because obviously it's all about creating happy, creative kids. Yeah, well, I've been like the minute COVID hit, I, I was about one week, I canceled my classes for one week. And then I went, okay, well, wait a minute, we can just continue on. And I went on the platform of Zoom. And so I've been teaching on Zoom ever since. And uh, in the summertime, when things were a little bit, you know, a little bit more lax, I was able to have the kids come and we made movies in the summertime. And so there still is the opportunity for kids to be able to come online on this platform and still be creative and still do things. And the thing that really um, I thought of was I thought, you know, now I can teach kids all over the world. You know, there's kids <laughs> everywhere. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice to have a class on a Thursday night when there's somebody from all over the world and now all of these kids are making different friends, you know? I feel like I have 22 new friends <laughs> that I've just been interviewing that live, you know, the UK, Ireland, South Africa, uh, the States, everywhere. And wow. um, I'm just trying to really look at the possibilities of what we can do in this pandemic because we don't know when it's going to end. And instead of, um, you know, taking the attitude of, of being uncertain and worrying about it all the time, we need to shift our perspective a little bit. And that's where um, our brain has a lot to do with how we can look at things. And um, if this is going to be our life for a while, we need to be able to adjust to it. And I think there's plenty of opportunity. There's one woman from... Um, Ireland, um, uh, Mary O'Kane, Dr. Mary O'Kane, and we've chose to have the topic about the silver lining in COVID. And there are, if you really look, there's a lot of things that are good. Of course, there's a ton of things that aren't, but we can um, shift to be able to say, okay, there are good things, let's focus on those. So yeah, lots of, lots of, lots of great conversation. People will be, people will be entertained um, because there's some wonderful stories. I got to, I went on Ted, uh, Ted talk and I found some speakers on there and I emailed them right away because their stories were very, um, um, uh, heart wrenching and not heart wrenching, but just inspiring. And so, um, they're on talking. And so it's, yeah, it's been fabulous. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> oh, it, it sounds incredible. And all the work that you've done is wow. I can't imagine. So uh, where can people go for more information? Is there a website uh, so you can let them know? Yes. Creative, competent, creative, confident, happy okay. And if you just put, um, slash, where is it here? I've got it. Uh, com slash F A F slash, and then you'll be able to register. Okay. And so you can register and then it will just come to you. You'll get some emails It'll and all the speakers will come to you on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Perfect. Can you just write that in the chat box there after or right now? Yeah. And that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, just so we kind of are almost, uh, I again, apologize, Lois. I had a question though for you. What did you learn from the kids? And maybe as you know, your acting kids or whatever, through all of this, COVID, isolation, virtual classroom, you know, getting on Zoom and, and not being able to see friends. What have you learned from them? Um, yeah, that's a great question, Tracy. You know, because some kids um, tried it and it wasn't for them and they, and they stopped. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some kids just kept on going like it didn't phase them. And I think as I go on, I'm noticing right now too with some of the kids that... Um, 
you've got to start to think of, of making uh, a little bit, you have to start to think of how is this going to be more fun now, you know, because as much as they, when they come here to the studio and we work, it's fun. We're together, right? Um, it's not quite the same. So I've done a few things different starting this year. We go into chat rooms. I let them be, no, the breakout rooms. And they, they get to work in the breakout rooms together for a little bit. So if they want to chit chat about other things in there, they can. And so that's been fun for them. And just some different games to start off the class with. Um, so some kids are thriving and doing okay. Some kids, I think maybe being on Zoom the whole day, doing school and everything, they've had enough. Um, but kids are resilient, you know? I think that uh, if you direct them and help them to see the good things in that, it's just a little tweak of the brain and um, shifting to, okay, this is where we are, let's go for it. It's very healthy. And I know, um, um, Linda's your name? You're, I listened to you and you had a conversation about, um, uh, you know, we just have to change how we say things, right? Like you can figure it out. And instead of thinking I can't, and that was something that I had to do with this project because there's so much I had no clue how to do. Like I'm not a techie in this computer stuff. And, and um, I had a wonderful friend, Adriana, help me with um, so much of the written stuff and or watching the, all the speakers and stuff and uh, taking notes for me and then having somebody be my assistant as far as the tech stuff goes and then my daughter helping me and so it was that mindset of you can even though you feel you can't you can and um I have and I have <laughs> it's like I don't I, I could tell you some um interesting moments along the way when I was really saying I don't think I can do this but uh, <laughs> I really believe you just keep on going and you figure it out and you do and it's been very rewarding yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad that you could finally join us. Um, I, I think it's going to be fabulous. So again, it's uh, J oh, January 30th to February 1st, and it's this weekend That's already, end of January. Can't believe it. But um, you know what? Again, thank you so much, everyone, for joining in this conversation. I think there is a lot. Uh, maybe there's some ideas for Rochelle now. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you, Rochelle. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So yes, and and uh, Robin's waving the hand too as well. So um, you know where we are, Rochelle. If you need any help or stuck, you can always come and join our chat. <laughs> Thank you very much. You ladies warmed my day and I uh, really appreciate you making space for me today. Thank you. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you again, Susie. Thank you. Oh, and congratulations, Susie. I heard Chicken Fest was a success. Yes. Chicken fest? Oh, we should. Yes, it yes. was incredible. It was incredible. And uh, the restaurateurs who took part in, uh, in this year's that we weren't even sure we were going to do were so overwhelmed by the response. And they were busier last week than they've been in months. Oh. And that meant that a few of them had to rehire staff as well to keep up with the orders. And a lot of them were selling out every day. And uh, I was just doing some, you know, kind of modest calculations and my estimation is that this food festival pumped about a million dollars into the local economy last week so i'm pretty excited i'm very grateful to everybody who loves fried chicken and uh our our next year will be our fifth anniversary and i have some very cool and fun plans for that yay okay you go girl and also to your other campaign save manitoba restaurants so yes again 
Yeah, and those two were kind of all wrapped up in each other. They were BFFs last week. And so (laughs) it was very important that everybody, you know, sort of understood that every time you ordered for Fried Chicken Fest or, you know, there was another, there were other food festivals going on too. There was Vegan Week. You were helping to save Manitoba restaurants. And so those are all amazing, wonderful things. Thank you. Oh, great. Okay. So thank you again. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Yes. Bye-bye. Have a great Tuesday. Stay safe and warm. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks. I missed all your talk, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This has been a production of ilikeyou.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com. Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.